Hello, this is Chad Chancellor with Next Move Group. Welcome to our first episode of the We Are Jobs newscast. Over the last year, we built a podcast channel where we interview various guests that are tied to the economic development industry, but our team has really been thinking over the last six months, what can we do? to get news out to economic developers to help grow our profession. Economic developers have never been as important as we're about to be through this coronavirus situation. So each week we're going to have various stories for you. We're going to talk about available jobs that we're aware of on the market and really be a news source. And I'm told it was really good. So I encourage you to reach out to Anatolio. I'm not sure if he has a recorded version of it or not, but I'm sure he'd be happy to talk with you. And we find ourselves in a situation where 96% of our antibiotics come from China. I mean, to be honest about it, they, they put us away without firing a shot. One's about what do you do with your incentives agreements? Just imagine. Most exposed metro area nationwide is the oil and gas town of Midland, Texas. Medline Industries has just announced Richmond Hill, Georgia for a new $70 million distribution center that's going to create 150 new jobs. I'm not sure what's happened. Somehow Winston-Salem has merged an organization or started a new one. A lot of the same players are involved. We're going to begin our show tonight with talking about two webinars that I've heard excellent reviews over. One is IEDC. They had a webinar this past week talking about different things that economic developers can do, giving them resources to get through this time. And they're going to do it again Monday at 2 o'clock. This week when they did it, they had over 1,400 attendees. And this is a free webinar. So I encourage you to go to IEDC and learn about that one. Also, size up, Anatolio Ubaldi conducted a webinar this week. I'm told that it cut off at 500 people, and I've heard rave reviews about it. It was uh, about the 10 impacts of coronavirus on the economic development profession. And I'm told it was really good. So I encourage you to reach out to Anatolio. I'm not sure if he has a recorded version of it or not, but I'm sure he'd be happy to talk with you. His email is aubaldi, so it's A-U-B-A-L-D-E at sizeup.com. Now we want to discuss how coronavirus is impacting our economy today and how it can impact economic developers. So there's three articles that I want to tell you about, and these will all be linked on our uh, website. One's about supply chain disruptions, written by Michelle Cromerford with uh, Biggins, Lacey Shapiro, BLS. We think a lot of them, they do great work. One's about what do you do with your incentives agreements? Just imagine incentives agreements economic developers have agreed to recently. And another one is about the places that coronavirus is probably likely to hit hardest. going to be pretty interesting. So let's start with the one about supply chain, which is the one put out by Biggins, Lacey Shapiro, Michelle Comerford. She talks about how 92% of companies have tier one suppliers in the impacted region of coronavirus. And this was in actually in China, 92% had uh, had tier one suppliers. In her article, she talks about the fact that there's been a lot of blank sellings, a lot of containers going back and forth uh, with nothing in them. Inactive fleet size has swelled to 2.04 million TEUs, 8% of global capacity. And I think Michelle wrote this a couple of weeks ago, so that's probably gotten Worse than that now. U.S. companies theoretically rely on suppliers in multiple countries, but usually they're all sourcing parts out of China. As an example, Apple works with suppliers in, four, in 43 countries, 
all of which receive components from Apple's contract manufacturers in China. So that's how the supply chain is being disrupted. She says in the near term, these companies are going to have to look at other countries to fill the gaps. Uh, the U.S. is somewhat limited in that because we've offshored a lot of this for years. So she thinks in the short term, India, Brazil, Colombia may see some benefit out of this. Uh, but in the long term, she thinks the United States will probably see an increase in manufactured investment to bring some of this supply chain home. I want to talk about uh, an article from Voris Law Firm, and they talk about what do you do with your incentives agreements? So, you know, um, a lot of communities have done agreements where you give tax incentives, tax abatements to companies. They promise so many jobs and investments. Oftentimes, those agreements will have some kind of emergency clause in them, or they'll actually have some kind of market conditions provision. And so they recommend getting out your incentives agreements and reading them and meeting with those companies and seeing if any of them are going to have a hard time meeting those incentives. So I encourage you to check out that article. Again, we'll post it to our website. And lastly, the Brookings Institute has come up with a really interesting article talking about the places that the COVID-19 recession will likely impact the most. And so I'm just going to read straight from this article what it says. So it says the most exposed metro area nationwide is the oil and gas town of Midland, Texas, where 42% of its workforce are in high-risk industries. They came up with a study, if you read the article, on what are the most high-risk industries due to this. Other major energy producers such as Odessa and Laredo, Texas, and home of Thibodeau, Louisiana, which means a lot to us. We're currently doing an executive search for Lafouche Parish, which is Thibodeau, are going to be in the top 10 most affected communities based on their study. They also say that a massive size of the nation's leisure and hospitality locations are going to be adversely affected. Towns in Hawaii, Atlantic City, Las Vegas, even Ocean City, New Jersey, Myrtle Beach, Flagstaff, and the Mississippi Gulf Coast and Alabama Gulf Coast and so forth. So it really hits home. Hits home to me. And they say this same those are all small to mid-sized towns that they predict are gonna have a hard time. Obviously, if you get to the bigger, larger metros, that's gonna include Las Vegas, Orlando, New Orleans, Honolulu, and they even say Oklahoma City is probably one of the top ten places at risk. Interestingly, on the other end of the spectrum, Brookings talks about places that are not as at risk. I don't think anybody's not at risk, but not as at risk as the other ones. And they say a lot of these are heavy agricultural communities such as Madera, California, Yakima, Washington, Elkhart, Indiana, Provo, Utah, and then some university towns like uh, Durham, Chapel Hill, Hartford, Connecticut, Albany, New York, and San Jose, California. So these are three articles that I read. You know, we're all looking at TV and they're predicting stock market and GDP, but, but I tried to find articles and our team really talked about what could really matter to an economic developer. So we wanted to bring these to your attention. Go read them. I think you'll be better off for and I think you'll enjoy them. That's enough of that bad coronavirus news. Economic developers are still having positive announcements of job and investment in our country. So I want to highlight a few in small to mid-sized towns that have happened just within the last two weeks since the coronavirus pandemic started. W. Silver Recycling is planted a 120,000-square-foot processing facility in Santa Teresa, New Mexico. 50 new jobs just announced in the last day or two. And Teva Products, which is an automotive supplier, is announcing 419 new jobs in Bluffton, Indiana. Nacaro's building a $3 billion 
natural gas to gasoline manufacturing plant, Casa Grande, Arizona. Ariana Pharmaceuticals is announced in Rockville, Maryland. They're going to have their U.S. commercial operations, going to bring 500 new jobs to Rockville, Maryland in the next seven years. Hayashi Telempu, North America, is a Michigan-based automotive supplier. $7 million expansion in Jasper, Alabama. We know Jasper well, so we want to brag on this one. Medline Industries has just announced Richmond Hill, Georgia, for a new $70 million distribution center that's going to create 150 new jobs. McKee Foods, they make the Little Debbie snacks. You can look at me until I eat a few too many of them. They're going to have a 480-job expansion in Collegedale, Tennessee. Sugar Bowl Bakery, this caught my attention living in New Orleans, Sugar Bowl. Uh, Sugar Bowl Bakery is located at East Coast location in Tucker Hill, Georgia. I'm sorry, Tucker, Georgia, not Tucker Hill, Georgia. They're going to create 400 new jobs and create $37 million investment in DeKalb County, Georgia. And lastly, I'm going to end in New Orleans because we're always bragging about New Orleans. Raystone Capital, a New York-based financial technology company, is going to expand and establish an operation in the central business district of New Orleans. So while we're all focused on coronavirus, I think it's so important to remember small to mid-sized communities are still having success. These are just a few of the announcements we found over the last two weeks. If your community has an announcement, you let us know it, and we'll be glad to feature it on our show. In our next segment, we want to spotlight all the economic development jobs that we're aware of in the country at this time, the number one and number two positions that we're aware of. You know, we've built an economic development executive search practice over the last few years, where we've probably done, I don't know, 60 or 70 economic development executive searches across the nation. We've grown that now into doing port searches and chambers of commerce and educational and other ones. So you can see the searches we're doing at any time on our website, the nextmovegroup.com. Click on economic development executive searches. At any given time, we're usually doing between 5, 10, 15. We were doing as many as 20 at one time last year. Uh, we announced actually this week that we're doing the Irving, Texas, Vice President of Economic Development Executive Search. So that's one that just came out. We've got a whole bunch more on there that we've already put out uh, to receive resumes, and we're in our process. So if you want to learn about the Irving one, you can go to the nextmovegroup.com backslash Irving. But what we want to do today is spotlight all the jobs that we know of right now, regardless of who's doing it, just to give you information. So uh, Bakersfield, California, for an example, searching for the economic development director. I've been to Bakersfield. I don't know if any of you all have. I called on a shingle company there one time. I think it was GIS shingle or GP, I can't remember the name of a shingle manufacturing plant there. They're going to pay $138,000. Contact Jill Engelman with CPS HR Consulting to learn more about that. So we're going to start with the number one positions that have come available in the last week or two. Then we'll go down to the number two positions. Wheeling, Illinois, which is up near Chicago, if I remember correctly, is searching for a director of economic development. They're going to pay $135,000. You can contact govhrusa.com to learn about that one. Decatur, Alabama, up in North Alabama, searching for a development director. They're going to pay up to $131,000. Same firm's handling that, govhrjobs.com. I guess that's the same firm. We don't really compete a whole lot with those government firms usually, so I'm not sure if that's the same one or not. But They're using govhrjobs.com. 
Clinton, Michigan, searching for an economic development director. They're going to start their salary at ninety-five thousand. I read where they'd go up. I think to one hundred and ten or twenty after two or three years. Uh, they're actually handling that themselves. If I remember, Clinton's up north of Detroit, and so you can go to ClintonTownship.com to learn more about that one. Aransas County, Texas, which is the Rockport area. This is where that hurricane came in a couple of years ago. Uh, is searching for president and CEO. They're doing the search themselves. That should be a good job. A lot of Texas towns are well-funded. Uh, that should be a good job. They probably got some disaster money from the hurricane that came, probably doing a lot of redevelopment, and that's a, that's a great area down there. You can learn about that at Aransas County. It's just like Arkansas without a K, aransascountyedc.org. Marshall, Michigan, the Marshall, Michigan area alliance is searching for a CEO. Marshall's over near Kalamazoo, if I remember correctly. Good location. Uh, you can visit Choose Marshall. They're doing it themselves. No search firm. You can visit choosemarshall.com to learn about that one. The Maryland Technology Development Corporation's hiring a CEO. They're using Corn Ferry, which is one of the nation's largest executive search firms. Corn Ferry does all kind of exec search for business, industry, healthcare, and so forth. So rather than picking one of the niche economic development firms, they went one of the big guys, Corn Ferry. So you can look at Corn Ferry to, to learn about that. Paragould, Arkansas, the Paragould Chamber. This is up near Jonesboro. Paragould has a lot of manufacturing. I visited up there a couple years ago, couldn't get over how much manufacturing they had up near Jonesboro. They're searching for a new CEO. Sue McGowan did a great job in Paragould. I don't know how long she was there. Joe Max Higgins was there before her, so somebody's going to have big shoes to fill. Jim Fram's conducting that search. Jim's a friend of ours, known Jim a long time. He does a lot of work around Missouri and Arkansas and so forth, so reach out to Jim Fram on that one. Now we'll transition to more of the number two jobs. Uh, Jorgensen Consultant, who's a group that we have a whole lot of respect for, searching for Senior Vice President of Economic Development for the Greater Winston-Salem Economic Development Organization. I'm not sure what's happened. Somehow Winston-Salem has merged an organization or started a new one. A lot of the same players are involved, but they, they've made some change in their structure there, and they're searching for Senior VP of Economic Development. Winston-Salem's really growing. That ought to be a great job. So you can reach out to Todd Jorgensen or his team on that one. Uh, the state of Connecticut has a group called Advanced CT, so Advanced Connecticut, nonprofit group whose mission is to grow the economy. They're looking for number two person, director of business development. You can find out about that at genpmconsulting.com or email jennifer at genpmconsulting.com. We'll go over now to Wisconsin. The Jefferson County, Wisconsin organization is hiring a business development person also. So another number two position looks to me like they're handling internally. So you can contact the HR department in Jefferson County, Wisconsin, if you're interested in that one. Here's one that everybody's going to be interested in. It's certainly the people for the number twos. The city of Austin, Texas, everybody loves Austin, is looking for an assistant director of economic development. They are using a search firm for this one, the Affion Public Executive Search Firm. So you can contact them to learn more. Here's another great, there's a lot of great towns on here. You go from Austin to Richmond, Virginia, the Greater Richmond Partnership, and Richmond's looking for Vice President of Economic Development. They're handling that one themselves, so contact the Greater Richmond Partnership to learn more. Down in Texas, here's another one, just back to back to back, San Antonio. The San Antonio Economic Development Foundation is looking for a VP of Business Development. They're handling internally. Michelle Boggs from their staff's handling that. 
you can reach out to her at mboggs at sanantonioedc.com. Still in Texas, San Marcos, Texas, Greater San Marcos Partnerships, looking for a senior director of business attraction, so another number two type person. They're handling that one internally as well. I tell you, Texas knows how to do economic development. They have that sales tax. They're well-funded. That's probably a good job. You can look at greatersanmarcostx.com to learn more. And finally, the last one we're going to tell you about tonight, Intersect Illinois, which is a state organization in Illinois. Uh, They're looking for three different positions, a director of business development, a site selection manager, and a director of research. You can go to the Intersect Illinois a web page to learn more about that one. Uh, we've got Mark Manning with us now. Mark was one of our early podcast guests. It's actually been our most downloaded, uh, listened to podcast. Mark, I don't know if you knew that or not, but you, not. you have that honor. I'm not sure that I'm not sure that it gets you very much. But Mark's been in Murray, Kentucky, for almost 20 years. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, he's an expert in economic development. One of the people I respect the most, and I know he's got some strong opinions on on uh, globalization and kind of what that's done to to the rural country and now you're hearing a lot of talking pundits talk about it so i called mark and said i want to get you on our new news show and 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 get a real good economic developer's opinion of kind of how we got here what do we do from now and 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 and, uh, and how do we get out of this so mark let me just start off with asking you what do you think of our current situation and and what do you think economic developers should do well Chad, I, I don't know about you, but since this uh, started, I have been getting at least a hundred helpful, and I use that word sarcastically, emails a day. You know, everybody wants to have uh, a webinar about economic development and COVID-19 and so forth and so on. And my personal opinion is that until we have a calmer situation and we have a firm idea as to what businesses can and cannot expect as help, then the best thing we can do is I've contacted all my manufacturers and and I've told them I'm not gonna barrage them with emails but that if they have a specific question, we will do our very best to find them a specific answer. Uh, Sometimes too much information is is worse than than not enough, and I think we are firmly in that camp right now. So we're going to be calm, and we're going to expect disruption beyond COVID-19. And that disruption, of course, is going to be economic. It's going to be drastic. And like everything else, there's going to be winners and losers. We plan on being winners. Uh, We will pay attention to what's going on and try to take as much advantage of that as we can. Mark, you're one of the most respected economic developers, and you've been around a long time studying policy. And so I want to talk about how we got here. And I know you've been following this since the 1990s when you were landing million square foot distribution centers in the Mississippi Delta, which I still don't know how you did. I'm thinking of the one in Indianola. Um, But I know you've got strong opinions on kind of how we got here and and what happened to to rural America. So give us your, your take on how we got here. 
in the, the late 80s and early 90s, I was working in the Mississippi Delta, which is a place that I, I still dearly love. It's uh, unique, and, and the people there are fabulous. And it's an economically challenged area, as you well know. Now, in the 80s, we were actually doing quite well recruiting industry. Uh, we had success with Dollar General Distribution Center in Indianola. Greenwood, Mississippi was doing really well with Viking Range and uh, Milwaukee Tool. Uh, we had uh, some su success in uh, Greenville, Cleveland, Clarksdale. We, we were doing well. Then NAFTA came along. And I'm going to tell you that uh, the guy who was running for president, I can't remember who it is right now, who said it was going to be a giant sucking sound, was absolutely right. And from that day forward, our ability to recruit industry declined dramatically, and the losses of industry to Mexico for cheap later uh, just expanded exponentially. It killed it. And, and I think that was just the start. So, you know, it might have been good for a few people, but it was not good for rural America. And I will challenge anyone to tell me that it was. Uh, after that, I'm not sure. I believe it might have been Clinton, but it really doesn't matter. It's not a Democrat-Republican issue. Uh, at some point uh, around 1990 or shortly thereafter, uh, we gave most favored nation status to China, even though that status is not supposed to be granted to countries that have horrible human rights abuses or who cheat and who steal trade secrets. But a uh, few people stood to make a whole lot of money by outsourcing a dramatic portion of our manufacturing base to China. So we go along, and I guess as long as you can walk into Walmart and buy something cheap, people don't pay that much attention as long as there's plenty of it there. But now we're in a situation where the, the companies that are left here most of them buy components from China. Uh, a lot of finished goods that come here are from China. And we find ourselves in a situation where 96% of our antibiotics come from China. I mean, be honest about it, they, they put us away without firing a shot, which, you know, uh, it, it's a bad situation. It's Predictable, you and I have been saying for a long time that America has to be able to produce at least essential goods. My personal opinion, if you sell a significant portion of your product in the United States, I'm not going to say you have to make it all here, but you should have at least a percentage of that production should be in the market where the product is being sold. It's a national security issue. Mm -hmm. Well, once this is all behind us, and goodness knows how long that'll be, where do you really see us going, Mark? Well, I know where I want it to go, but 
I, I look at the, the, the quote, government response to, to COVID, and I'm certainly not trying to be another instant expert on immunology, but with some of the things I see coming out of Congress, particularly with SBA and things like that, it's going to be so cumbersome, Chad, that by the time the, the help gets there, it's going to be too late. Now, having said that, Congress needs to be held accountable and the president needs to be held accountable for ensuring that we have incentives as well as uh, regulations about manufacturing things in the United States to the degree that during an international crisis, we can be self-sustaining. And if they don't do that, uh, we've got a problem. If they will go ahead and do what's right by the American people instead of a few shareholders, then we'll be fine. Quite frankly, if they do that, uh, people like you and I uh, are going to be very, very busy. And I say that not because there's any grandeur or anything in it for us, but you know, our profession has been fighting tooth and nail to try to help rural America, small town America. That's been my whole career. That's all I've ever cared about. I've never wanted to work in a big city, but rural America means everything to me. And if Congress will do what's right, we'll start seeing projects again. And we won't have to be doing bad projects just to try to make something good happen. We'll be able to actually turn rural America around and bring back the values that made this country great in the first place. Well, Mark, thank you for spending a few minutes with us today. As I've watched the news and there's been pundits say a little bit of what you just said, I, just, I think back to you having said this for years. I've been saying <laughs> a long time. <laughs> Fortunately or unfortunately, not very many people listen to me. You know, I often feel our profession's under attack. And when we got down to 3% unemployment, you know, you had nobody wanted to give incentives. You had Amazon doing what they did with their public bid. And uh, and now we got this coming along. I think we're be- going to become a little more important than we might have been over the last few years. Well, here's one thing I'd like to leave you with. And I've said this before, but I, I want to say it every time I get an opportunity for people to hear it. The last people that feel the gain in a good economy are the first people that feel the pain when there's a problem. So the people that are feeling the pain are why we're here. We're here not to make companies rich. We're here to try to provide opportunities for normal people to make a decent living, support their families, and have a good community. And, and that's all that matters. And I hope I hope some people will pay attention to that and start doing right for change. Mark, thank you for spending a few minutes with us. 